Hey, I'm David Greenwald. And I'm Dams Nicola. And this is Pretty Little Grown Men. This week we are talking once again about Pretty Little Liars, <laughs> Season 7, Episode 12. Uh, or two of ten in this final ten episode series, uh, season, I should say. Yes, this as, half season. As we count down to the end of this podcast and uh, the end of the show also. Right. Um, this episode is called uh, These Boots Are Made for Stalking. Uh-huh. Um, and there was a section. Okay, so I guess that relates to the the – the classic PLL slasher, slasher scene, scene exactly. in the uh, uh, the cobbler shop, right? Although we didn't know that they were boots or not, but I guess that's the spoiler. I'm that's a... actually a clever title for this show, which <laughs> is sometimes all over the place with the episode titles. I'm uh, I'm attempting to look up to see uh, who directed and wrote this episode, um, not successfully. Uh, but yes, uh, I think that we will start this episode on a more positive note. Yeah. I want to say up front that I thought this episode <laughs> was great. It did so many things that I like seeing PLL do. Uh, I was emotionally invested. The acting was really strong. There were some deep emotional moments. There was actually a good, a pretty good, like Aria B plot with like a nice platonic friendship with Holden where you weren't worried that like somebody was going to kiss anyone. They were just like, he was just being kind and giving her good Hold advice up. and stuff. Hold up. Now okay. I, I feel a little cynical saying this, but I don't buy that Holden isn't in this because he's in secretly in love with Arya. Well, I mean, that would be what you would expect in this right. show. Right. Which right. is why I was like pleasantly surprised that he was just being a chill friend, but also that was his role initially is that he didn't actually want to date Arya. He was just like using her as cover so he could go like do wrestling or whatever he was doing. Oh, that's right. Okay. Now I'm remembering who he is. Yeah. So he actually is still playing, occupying the same role in her life. So it would actually not be weird for him to not be interested in her romantically. Right. Um, but I, it's, I find it refreshing anyway. For, for what I think is a pretty functional go between episode. Um, uh, I feel like there's a lot to talk about. Um, I will start by saying that, uh, according to the internet, this episode was written by Oliver Goldstick. That can't be real. <laughs> Anything's real. <laughs> Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> and directed by Ron Lago, Lago Marcino, which is as ethnic a name as... <laughs> Tannerino, yeah, t- yeah, the name of the cobbler, <laughs> Tanner Pepperoni. Yeah, let's 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 come up with the most Italian name we can for this poor cobbler who doesn't Mr. appear Mama in the episode. Mia. <laughs> Plastic on the furniture. Okay, um, there. Yeah, actually, a lot a lot happened in this episode, and some sort of weird like distracty stuff was introduced, even though a lot of real meat was in it. Um, so, yeah, let's just kind of break it down for a minute, I guess. Uh, speaking of real meat, I want to talk about Detective Fury. <laughs> yeah, he was looking pretty good. Okay, yeah, we get to see episode. him. In, uh, yeah. So uh, I feel like that always happens on Pretty Little Liars, which is if they introduce a male character who you don't think is super hot at the outset, they're going to put him in an outfit 
to make sure you know that he's a ripped right. and be sexier than you thought he was. Right. You got to show those guns. <laughs> he, just, he just came in like after a jog or a, or a day at the gym and, and went he, over to, to comfort Spencer because he says she sounded fragile, <laughs> which is, which is like one of the funnier lines in, in PLL history, like unintentionally funny. I was intuiting that you were fragile. Right. Cause he's so sensitive, but also a, a big muscular cop. <laughs> And he, but he's also like, I'm coming over on non-police business because, as you can see, I'm wearing my running shorts. Right. Which, these are not police-issue running shorts. Right. That's that's how you know he's not here to arrest anyone. Uh, also, isn't he like 15 years older than Spencer? I mean, probably, but, you know, we're all adults here. The funny, we were joking when we were watching it that he's like, he discovers in this episode that uh, Spencer, Spencer reveals to him that uh, she is secretly Mary Drake's child, and... Um, I mean, my first thought was, oh, that's weird because I'm the same age as Mary Drake. Not me, not me, Dom, but me, Detective Fury, oh, reading this letter. Right, right. Well, maybe mm, probably a little younger. Right. But yeah, but he looks bit substantially somewhere. older than Spencer. That's true. Uh, yeah. Speaking of uh, age discrepancies, um... One of the great things about this episode was uh, the dynamic at the high school with the introduction of new character Addison Derringer. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> because the season is just full of great names. Uh-huh. Um, who, uh huh. Who at first uh, reflects reflects to Allison and to Emily. The way that high school that they were as high schoolers, which you know, not that Emily was necessarily a shitty kid, but that um, I don't know. I, I to me what to me what Addison represented was a young dumb teenager who thought she was more of an adult, right? Than she really is, just like Allison did. Just like Allison did. Uh, yeah, Allison especially, but all the liars, really. And um, the ironic thing is that in insisting that she's an adult, which Emily actually uses the words um, uh, adult. Right. Or uses the word adult when she's is telling Paige why Addison sucks. Um it's like her insisting that she be treated as an ad, as an adult when she's acting just as petty and confused and intimidated as she would have been uh, as a teenager. Right, right. And, well, we can discuss the whole arc, but it, it ends, this plot line ends with her basically, like, yelling at this Doing teenage girl. Doing the thing she girl. should have not have done. Right. right, but just going going off on her and like realizing after you know uh, she is like left in this locker room and sitting when Paige comes to get her and clearly just like reflecting on her actions and thinking like oh my god like mm -hmm. I I really screwed this up yeah um but that was exactly what AD wanted her to do and so they got the the puzzle the second puzzle piece in, right in their game which is. Uh, a, a very elaborate board game that's not really a board game. Right. So that was actually, this was a really tightly 
made episode because you have the board game basically open and close the episode at the end they get this puzzle piece and they're putting it together and spencer of course it's spencer realizes oh duh this is a map Mm -hmm. that looks like rosewood and those are highways and whatever and they're like where what is this going to lead us to is it going to lead us to something or someone Mm -hmm. uh so that sets up a nice bit of tension for them to uh have a reason to finish the game which yeah. is which is cool because at the beginning of the episode, they're they're fighting about whether or not to play, blah blah. blah. And this is where Emily goes on her own rant about how she is an adult and she doesn't want to deal with this bullshit anymore. Yeah, basically. Uh, and then this episode pulls her back in. So it was actually like as a sort of thematic piece and like having a very clear self-contained story and, and payoff. It was really great. Yeah. Even Uh, even though like, I don't know, I didn't, I was sort of annoyed by the Addison character, but you're supposed to be, I guess. Right. Well, I think that's the idea is, and maybe this is why this episode felt better to us than many episodes to come before. Uh, Because it, it, it felt for the first time that this show was actually, self-aware in a way that it hasn't been in a while Mm -hmm. i don't know if that self-awareness is just uh something that i'm projecting onto the show but um the introduction of addison as a very liarsish character Mm -hmm. to 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 be juxtaposed against their sort of asserted uh, adulthood right that felt very self-aware um one thing that the show was pretty obvious about in this episode was the fact that uh all of these all of these uh as we were talking about all these conversations and uh asides and meetings that these characters should be having where they're where they're making sure that that what they're saying is very private and what's going on is very private because they know by now that everyone is listening Mm-hmm. Um, they're they continue to be stupid about it, right? And they get surveilled by this teenage kid, right? By a dumb 16, 17 year old girl who can a- just as easily surveil them as anyone else, as, right? As fucking AD, who's like this mastermind, right? Right, exactly. Um, and this is something that we've talked about that we bring up as like just. Blech. Excuse me, that was a little burp action for you, listeners at home. Sorry about that. Uh, no, this is something that we that we bring up here and there. It's just like a, a minor irritation with the show, right? Mm. That you have these characters who really should know better, and for the sake of like making the scenes easier to watch or or to to sort of show us that they haven't learned anything. Either one, I you know I don't know, yeah. uh, but they're just so. Let's stand in the middle of this living room and have this conversation very loudly and take no precautions. Or let's right. stand in this classroom or, or whatever it is. Right. And it's like, yeah, you're being constantly watched. Like you live in a – like this is a show about sur- a, a surveillance state of a sort or being stalked, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think it also speaks to digital surveillance and the fact that we, everyone has a cell phone and anyone could be watching you, et cetera. Uh, and they really don't account for that at all it's weird besides that there's this sort of omniscient omnipotent bad person right um you know it's funny that i never really thought of the show as a 
sort of companion to Gossip Girl or influenced by Gossip Girl. But, you know, that's a show where people take surveillance on their cell phones and then send it to like a mastermind, Mm -hmm. a hidden mastermind. And that's like what this show is, but also with murder. So I never really thought about it like that until right now. So here we are. So I, I, I watched one. I've only seen one episode of Gossip Girl and it was the very first episode. You've seen all of it. What was the ultimate motive of 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 Gossip Girl? Well, so I thought the Gossip Girl gimmick was really dumb, actually, as the show sort of moved on and on and on, and it continued to be playing like it continued to be a factor in the show as all these characters are trying to like deal with their romantic entanglements and stuff. But uh, the spoiler is that it was the main guy, Dan, trying to use it as like leverage to be one of these socialite people and like get himself out of like this Brooklyn, no one cares about me thing. So he essentially started his own version of like Gawker uh, to blog about all these rich kids and then make himself one of them by introducing himself into the Gawker verse. <laughs> so it it's sort of funny. I mean, it speaks to his like, it speaks to like a certain literary idea, but he was just became such a shitty character toward the end. And like, it felt really gimmicky and the whole last season of gossip girl. I just really hated, uh, for a number of reasons in, some of which are that they reverted all the ships to like the original classic ships, just like pretty little liars has done, Mm. which is like, how can you have characters who grow and change? If you just have them end up getting back together with their high school girlfriend or boyfriend, right? Like that sucks. And yet here we have that again in pretty little liars. And I am once again, annoyed by it. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of things that are uh, annoying is, Overall good episode, except for what's going on with Mona in this episode. Although she yeah. did, she for she was, uh, there was something off about her for most of the episode until she confronted Jenna. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, oh, yeah. Jenna comes back in this episode, by the yeah. way. Kind of a big deal. So, okay. So, this is what I was thinking. Let's talk about Mona first. All right. Because I, I have a big question. And okay. I, and, and I feel like it's... Okay. Yeah. Well, well, what I would say about Mona, I said this while we were watching that, like, she has all this just bantery dialogue now, and she's even the way she's acting, like her her movements and just the way she her, she feels like a different character. She's now suddenly transformed from this like political operative who was also doing blue snarfing and like a hardcore hacker, uh, who you're not sure if she's a good character or not. Uh, who sort of becomes the hero toward the end of 7A. And then in this season, she's all of a sudden like, oh, I have like fashion connections and I'm like so fashiony and mm-hmm. and you should look at these dresses or you should, you know, whatever. And her her dialogue has changed and it just feels like where where did you, what did you do with Mona? And who was this new weird Stepford wife version of Mona who you've replaced her with? It's one of two things. Uh, if, if, if things are going to work out the way that they've worked out in Pretty Little Liars history, it's going to be one of two things. One, this is all happening in order to ensure that Mona is not bad, and that she's going to that that all doubt is going to be uh, um, removed from her character. Mm-hmm. Uh, or in the same vein, they're setting they're they're sanding her down in order to set her up to be some sort of uber a right that's a good point but i I think it's the first one though 
Yeah, I think they've I just decided eh, this is what we're gonna do with Mona now. It's it's not it's not interesting or surprising to have Mona be a anymore. Uh, I still think I, I would still love it, but I think they've just decided that she's not going to be, and so they need to put her out to pasture in a way. The other complete lack of self awareness this episode has maintained is the fact that somehow uh, we're we're painting Ezra as a victim still. Uh huh. Um, I mean, his whole relationship with Nicole, I I couldn't give a fucking shit about, but right. Um, the way that the sh- the way that uh, the exchanges between Arya and Holden are basically Holden telling Arya to like give Ezra a break because he's going through a lot of emotional turmoil at the right. moment. Give him some space. It's Be just patient. sort of like you know, I mean. There is no clearer example of how the show has dropped, almost completely dropped from its mythology, the fact that Ezra was uh, uh, spying on all of them for a long period of time. Right. Then to have a conversation between Holden and Arya, wherein Holden says, well, you met him when he was, when you were in 11th grade, and, you know, do you just expect him to just... uh, uh, um, be frozen in amber right and it's like uh no but also it's just like he's not totally um he's not totally innocent he is culpable for the fact that he was uh spying on teenagers for a long period of time well i mean right like our watching of the show it is impossible for us to remove it from ezra essentially being an extremely bad person and so it is impossible to sort of absorb the romance, the Ezria romance, in any kind of uh, authentic or not authentic, but any kind of you know emotionally valid way. Because I don't want them to be together because he's a predator, you know. And the fact that they've hopped ahead five years does not make me more engaged with him or more interesting. You know or what I'm Interested saying. in him. Um. And that's just you know that's our stance on right. that character, which is which is fine. Um, I don't I don't think the show has the uh, the chutzpah to to have Ezra be a but right. <laughs> you know how Ezra being a would be the perfect end to this show. I agree because. Not only would it be uh, uh, morally um, the right thing to do, but uh, it would be surprising. It would be legitimately shocking. Mm-hmm. But to have this, to have basically have a person who was established as a predator from the beginning, yeah, uh, who the show has fought against being a predator its whole run, to actually have that person be. Who they were all along? Yeah, like fuck yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. That's the right way to end the show. It is. I don't think that's what they're gonna do. No, they won't. I I love that idea. I think that's great because you know it's and it's all there, and they're they're almost setting it up for that. The fact that Ezra is being so weird now. Yeah, he's not in this episode at all. You can hide it, and that's the thing is like it's the perfect cover. You can hide. Him, him being a behind the fact that he's having emotional issues over Nicole, right? And so he doesn't show up in the episodes, or you don't need to track him down, or whatever. 
Yeah, yeah we'll see. and everyone's just forgotten that he was a guy who had an elaborate spy system set up. Right, so he could like write a shitty true crime novel or whatever that he never wrote. That he never wrote, oh and my instead, God. and instead wrote a book with the girl that he was spying on for years. Yeah, it's bad. I really enjoyed when he was evil, and it seemed like <laughs> the show was going to do something interesting with that, as opposed to having him be like, "No, I really actually love you," and it's yeah. cool that. You know the whole that whole situation. Now let's get married, right? I mean, you know, it, it, the folks who are still listening to this podcast, you know how we feel. <laughs> we don't need to drag you through this mud again. Uh, what else? We can't help ourselves. What, what else in this episode? Um, so I have a big question. To ask. Oh yes, go ahead. Um, so uh, Spencer goes to talk to Detective Fury after he's come to her house and shown her his nice shorts and. She shows up and they're having a conversation about that's basically just more of what they were talking about before. And then who walks in but Jenna? At the police, they're at the police station. At the police station, and you hear the the clicking, right? The click clacking of her, of her cane. And Jenna walks in and she has this whole elaborate story about uh, how Nolcon manipulated her, manipulated everybody around him. It's not believable because we all know Nolcon is a fucking idiot, but. Right. I mean, he 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 accidentally got his head cut off. I don't know if there's a dumber way to die, but um, what I was thinking about during that whole scene, as Spencer was freaking out uh, about how much she hates Jenna, that's so great. It's such a good scene. But okay, because Spencer's restraining herself, and Jenna's telling this sob story, and at the end, Spencer's like, "You are so full of," mm. which is like exactly what the audience is thinking the whole time. Right, you're watching Jenna, the actress playing Jenna, do a bad job of of acting, like doing this whole so, like literal like sob story where she's gonna start crying. Like it's such a, it's really great acting because it's an, a great actress cho- doing like a bad, in character doing bad acting. Yeah, if that makes sense. Well, and okay, it, but yeah, I love that scene. So this is this is testing our Pretty Little Liars fandom, but. In the grand, in like the overall story of all of these characters, it all began when uh, they accidentally blinded Jenna. Right. And, uh, you know, then afterwards, Jenna became this sort of menacing character. But, but, if we think about all the things that have happened on the show, is there any reason for these characters to think that Jenna is as evil and manipulative and shitty as, as, they do it's hard to know because she has sort of gone back and forth in terms of like not ever being a you know um but sometimes working with someone there were all those you know i keep thinking back to maybe it was season four or five where there were a handful of scenes where there's Jenna and Mona together. Right, Jenna, Mona, and Sydney. And Sydney, they're like sitting on a bench. Yeah. Somebody, somebody else comes to join them. You know, there are all these like, there were three or four scenes like that where there's mm-hmm. these clandestine meetings. And it's like, that was really intriguing to me. And I was like, where is this going? What is this going to mean? And in the end, it was like, jack shit. Right. You know, and that was really infuriating to me that that's, they that's didn't, the thing. That didn't that's add what up I'm thinking to anything. Of, is the fact that like, when have we ever been given evidence that Jenna is actually as bad as Spencer thinks that she is? Right. Well, I mean, trying to shoot Spencer with a gun would probably be one. But, 
Yeah, I mean, well, I, I mean, mean, working with no before con, then, I guess I, the fact, the idea that she that they would think she is AD, I think, is unreasonable because why would she reveal herself and try to kill them as opposed to like be wearing some kind of elaborate mask or have mm-hmm. you know a classic A death device? Yeah. You know, like it should have been obvious from this from that strategy that like these these schlubs are not masterminds. No, like. Null tripped over an axe and cut his own head off. Like that's not something that A would do. <laughs> AD. So yeah, I I think I'm not even. I think the show is trying to convince us that Jenna is AD, but I, I'm not even like that's not even an option. Yeah, and since when has the show ever successfully convinced us of something that it that like it actually got carried through? In that well, way? right, right, but it, like I'm not even. It didn't even occur to me that this was an option like watching it i'm like oh i didn't i guess the show is trying to convince us that this is what we should think but that doesn't even make sense <laughs> sometimes that you know sometimes they do sometimes it does make more sense but right. i think just because of the nature of the game and they address this in the opening scene where someone i think maybe allison says you know or maybe hannah says she couldn't have put this board game together by herself you know right mm-hmm. uh the the last bit of uh, self-awareness that i was referring to earlier um, is in that early scene with Emily uh, basically laying out all the reasons why they should go to the cops. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it felt like the first time that anyone on the show has almost like breached through to reality and was like, right, here's what would happen in reality. And everyone's like, no, we can't do that. That doesn't make any sense. And Emily's like, no, it's, this is like, we're adult. Listen, we're adults now. Right. And as adults, we should cooperate with the police. Right. Well, and Spencer brings up the fact that, oh, they have this tape of us burying Dr. Husband. Mm -hmm. So that's bad. And then we would have to explain all that stuff to him. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, the show of course has gone through these sort of loops of we can't tell anyone because of reason X so many times. And it, I'm just like such a tired dad now watching the show <laughs> that I'm like, I mean, whatever, this is just what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah. I don't care what the logic or the reason, or, you know, it doesn't have to make sense. Mm. It doesn't have to be reasonable. I don't care anymore. <laughs> Let's just see what happens. <laughs> Let's just push this forward. But that being said, I did find this to be a really, uh, engaging and suspenseful, suspen- suspenseful and interesting episode. I thought the the Emily plot was pretty cathartic uh, and had a lot of nuance to it. Um, and then Spencer is still grappling with finding out that uh, Mary Drake is her mom, mm-hmm. and she has this really incredible scene with uh, her, the woman she thought was her mother, mm-hmm. uh, who does a great bit of acting and. And a great bit of speech making and saying how she tried to hold the family together and all this stuff. So that was like a really nice, heavy scene. Yeah. Um, just a lot of really good good stuff in this episode. Yeah. Um, as always, it's sort of like where I don't know. It I feel like we've gotten we've gotten so used to the way that this show works mm-hmm. that we stopped questioning the things we once were questioning all the time. Uh-huh. I mean, I think that like this episode is a great example of the fact that it has too many storylines and in fact too many characters yeah. because I mean, you it's getting to the point where if you leave too many characters alone, their timelines start to get 
soggy and you can't really like for example like so Toby's just sitting in the hospital waiting for his fiance to wake up, I right, guess. Right. Toby's not in this one. Ezra's not in it. Right. And Ezra's just like away, sort of not talking to Arya about the most important events in his life. Right. You would think that they would have more communication. Arya's family is just, you know, just chilling. Right. Uh, Spencer's dad, for some reason, just can't fucking get home. No matter right. how hard he tries, <laughs> yeah. Listen, I know you got shot by a, I know you got shot by a blind person, and you've discovered that we're not your or that I'm I'm well, I'm your dad, but your mom isn't your mom, right? Uh, I'm I'm tr- I'm gonna be home on Thursday. Oh yeah, and like <laughs> that's totally one of those things where it's like the plot of the show is being influenced by how many episodes they can get the actor to be on. Right. You know? And so it's like, we have to punt this out in other episodes so we, until we can have this guy on for his 10 minutes or whatever it is. Right. Which like, is something I was not attuned to, I guess, you know, years ago when I was, if I was watching the show and I was 15, I would not be thinking about that. I'd be like, wow, it's crazy that he hasn't come home yet. Where is he? And I'm like, Oh, this is just because of some, like his contract. You know, and so I actually am like more accepting of shows pulling unrealistic things because it just makes me assume like, oh, well, this has to be because of like a budget thing or right. timing or whatever. Yeah, and I understand that. But also, I mean, I mean, like, this is a show that like has had two different actors play Jason also. Yeah, very so true. there's that. Um, also not in this episode. Yeah, yeah I don't think he's going to. I think he's gone. Actually, no, he'll probably show up in the end. Um, but, uh, also like Aria and Fitz, they just wrote a book together. They were supposed to go on some sort of tour. Right. And there's just like, so, so I guess we're just not going to promote this book that you both wrote. Yeah. It's sort of sloppy and they're not really showing that. I mean, you know, the, the Nicole character hasn't shown up at all, Mm -hmm. which is weird because like they just saved her. You know, and so she's not going to. I mean, of course, that's it's a way be, to get him. It's a way to get him off the show for a little while. Well, and it's you know, of course, building suspense to when like a. Arya confronts her or or whatever. I don't know. They have to like build in some weird suspense in the Arya Ezra romance because that's been like the whole thing of like, will they or won't they? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it a good relationship? Should they be together? And so you know, they have to just kind of draw it out as opposed to like, yeah, they're just gonna get married and have this happy ending situation. So, I don't know. It feels a little artificial because it feels like they just needed to find some way to draw out the plot and create drama, and I'm not really interested in it. Here's but the perfect- I did like the holding character. I was worried that he was going to be dumb, and instead I think he's actually been pretty good. Per- perfect ending for the show. Ezra, A. Uh, Emily and a- and Allie are raising their child. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Emily's baby. Emily's baby. Because uh, that's our theory, in case you missed last yeah. episode, and I know you didn't, because it's the only, the same group of people <laughs> listening to everything. You're yeah. our hardcore fans. Yeah, thank we love you. you. Uh, but I, yeah, we like that theory. We're feeling good about it. Yeah, that's right. That uh, Emily's eggs were implanted into Allison. She's going to give birth to Emily's baby. Who's the father? Well, I guess Doctor Husband. Probably. Yeah. So okay. has to be Doctor Husband Probably. anyway. Um. Or not? Who knows? So that that covers Allison, Emily, uh, Arya ends up with Holden because Ezra's a. Uh huh. Um, and then I guess Hannah and uh, no, 
this is this is the perfect ending. So Hannah and Caleb don't end up together. Yes. So what happens to them? Uh, man, there's like nothing that could happen. Hannah and Lucas end be. up together. Uh, worse. Yeah, that's kind of gross. I don't like any of it. Uh. Where's I mean, Lucas? I I don't know. Yeah, where's Lucas? Uh, whatever. It's fine. I don't care. I'm just going to accept what, <laughs> what goodness this show gives to me at this point. Hannah and Mona fall in love. It could happen. Yeah, the show won't do that. No. That's that's a, on the, on the, in what the if, realm of possibility. What if, what if Mona and I don't know anymore? I just want to see what happens. I mean, it's I feel like they did a good job this episode of giving the game some, some more... Uh, weight to it you know mm-hmm. make it a little more interesting with creating the puzzle pieces and having the uh having a map to it and seeing like it's clear that like this game is going to try to break the liars down and as one of the ad texts say like push them into the darkness mm-hmm. so we're going to see them like pushing their own limit finding their own limits of what bad thing will they do how far back to their teenage years will they revert that's uh, a you know that's a perfect clue that text from AD is a perfect clue why Ezra should be A because he is a good person he thinks he's a good person at heart but he's willing to go into the darkness in order to really uh get the truth out. Um uh, one thing I appreciate about this episode is they're uh alluding to Jumanji. Yeah, which is very much like this game which is it's like this this ongoing long game where every every you know once in a, like every other day you make a move and it does something catastrophic and you have to deal with it before you can make the next move. Uh huh. That was a good movie. Yeah, <laughs> it was. They're doing yeah. a, they're doing a remake. Yeah, but you it's not it's not gonna, it's not gonna be the same. It's gonna be bad. Um, we I guess we didn't talk about the big action scene where Hannah gets trapped in the cobbler shop uh, after this weird confrontation between uh, Caleb and Jenna outside. And of course, Jenna, who we now know is like working for AD who yeah. had her in the previous episode. She like has her squad of two other allegedly blind people wandering around. So presumably it's one of those guys who locks Hannah away while Jenna's down on the street. Right. Some, yeah. Um, so these guys who like presumably are not actually blind I you know who knows if Jenna's actually blind? I I yeah. feel like she's not, but I don't know. It's sort of one of the weird mysteries of the show. Like, is is Jenna blind or not? <laughs> and like, how how villainous precisely is Jenna? But we do know. I think it's fair to say uh, she's working for AD. She knows who AD is, mm-hmm. and that's her deal right now. Yeah, I did like the. Um the scene in the cobbler shop uh it wasn't the most compelling of scenes when it came to actual filmmaking but i do like the idea that the show isn't willing to let go of uh these characters trauma when it comes to especially with hannah who was kidnapped i mean as as goofy as that whole situation sort of played out in the series if you think about the actual reality of it is hannah was kidnapped and tortured and so of course she's going to be traumatized by it right and she goes into shock yeah i yeah i thought i thought that was like actually a really effective uh sequence and a scary sequence um and then of course caleb comes to save the day from mr tanner masacholi's cobbler shop dungeon area yeah yeah i mean i knew as soon as she walked into that gate it's like oh well 
This is not going to work out for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for making the same horror movie mistake that you guys have made in every single one of these episodes for the last, you know, however many years. Uh, yeah. Which is fine. I love it. Yeah, they're never going to learn. Just like they're never going to learn to close a fucking door. Right. It's true. To it's have just a conversation. <laughs> it's just it's just it's just what the show is. Uh, uh one one like actual plotty detail that we didn't talk about was when Jenna comes in and gives her explanation uh it's interesting i guess to look into what she was saying uh which is that they were trying to get charlotte's money mm -hmm. and she wanted her cut from noel so she could have another eye operation yeah uh and so while i don't believe anything jenna says we do know that people a lot of people were after charlotte's money we know that jenna claims to have spent time with charlotte in the hospital, yeah, I think, and like knew about Doctor Husband or whatever, yeah, and like said she was friends with Charlotte. So, the the Jenna Charlotte situation is is complicated and interesting to me, and I really hope the show resolves it in a cool way because right now we have sort of a lot of conflicting information about what that relationship was and if Jenna is a uh, reliable narrator you know, to anyone. And I, I don't, when we watched that sequence where she was talking about being friends with Charlotte, I didn't believe that either, you know, but of course, like the times where we disbelieve the show during recaps or anytime the show like tells us this happened in the past and you say, well, this probably didn't happen. The show almost never actually tells you what happened. Yeah. It just sort of glosses over. And so that's the canon that we're left with. Right. So, you know, I really don't know what to think about it because I expect that, that flashback scene probably maybe will will end up being real or will not be uh there's just not gonna be enough time on the show to go back to it and tell us what really happened i mean and, and is it are we willing to just accept that the sh the way that the show sets up jenna as a villain is exactly her true nature i mean she 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 even goes so far as to say to caleb um because before Hannah wanders into uh, the Italian stereotypes cobbler shop, she, uh, or Caleb distracts Jenna, and Jenna eventually says, "Like, well, we'll never know what the real story is because the person who knows that information is dead." Yeah, the person who can, the old other person who can corroborate the story, is dead. F fell fell hilariously on an axe. Right. Um, well, yeah, it's like she's trying to intimidate Caleb. Saying like you know, you guess who this? What happens to people who know about this stuff? You know, <clears throat> but it's like he tripped and fell over and, and chopped his head off. You know, yeah. it's like it's <laughs> like that wasn't that wasn't something that you did. You were in no way responsible for this poor guy making a bad footwork decision. But it, that's why it's, that was such a that was such a uh, archetypal villain kind of thing to say. Right, like you'll never know because. His head is detached from his body. Right. Um. So it it makes me kind of like, like many things in this show, I am hypersensitive to things that feel like red herrings. Right. Well, I think because the show is just like fifty percent red herring. No, I know it really is. It's it's definitely one of the bothers of the show. But I think this actually speaks to the show's theme for the season is, which is how far will you go when you're pushed? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think Jenna 
is being pushed by AD. And we don't know if this is a positive relationship, if it's a blackmail relationship. I mean, she seemed pretty scared when we see her in the shot before when she's confronting AD. Yeah. In both of those, the two scenes that right, was, that true. they are right, together. Right. And I, you know, there was also, I think that goes back to when she is like working for Allison during that like two seconds that Allison was like this evil queen character when the show didn't know what to do with her. Yeah. And that the show is like completely forgotten and papered over, mm. uh, which was like a very weird thing for Jenna to be doing given that Allison blinded her. Right. But, you know, she is this character who we always wonder if she's the mastermind, but I think clearly is not. And I think is in some kind of bad situation. And ultimately I hope we do get the chance to feel sorry for her because she has suffered uh, and not necessarily been the villain, but uh, I don't know. We'll find out what happens. But I think there is a dynamic set up there of like, she's probably not doing this for fun. Right. Well, I think that with the introduction of someone like Addison, the show might be starting to finally admit that, um, you know, that these ideas of what constitutes good and bad when you're that young, uh, just, it doesn't really pan out, you know, like everyone is good and everyone is bad, especially if you are, if you're being manipulated by someone with a lot more power than you. Right. And Addison thinks she's doing the manipulating, but in reality, AD is just pulling her around on strings and then, and it basically threw her under the bus. Yeah. She drops, she basically like gets, uh, yeah, she gets screwed by AD at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So it's completely positioned to, you know, be a a, a a chess move for Emily to deal with. Yeah. And yet this girl, of course, thinks she has all the power. So that's sort of like, I don't know, representative of something. Mm-hmm. I mean, the liars know that they don't have any power. Yeah. That's the problem. I'm still really um, intrigued and pleased uh, I, yeah, I guess pleased because I feel like it's a pretty fascinating thematic idea that the show is finally being more overt with, which is that um, that these characters, Emily especially, they just they want they want to be grown up. They want to be done with growing up. Right. They want to be. Uh, they want to be the uh, the the adults that they feel like they've always. been been right and that they were before this all started up again right or that you know that they want to feel like the adults that they were made because of the trauma that was inflicted upon them um you know which is which is a fascinating idea in itself which is that traumatic experiences mature you Mm -hmm. um uh or or freeze you yeah both mature and freeze you Mm -hmm. in a really sort of weird dichotomy where the idea the the idea that like because you've dealt with this sort of intense uh, sadness or, or 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 just intense experience that you feel like you're more experienced as a human and therefore you're more mature, but at the same time, you're prevented from maturing because you're dwelling upon this experience. It's a really fascinating dichotomy, and I guess it could probably be applied to this show. Um, it's it's really inter- it's interesting that that's manifest on the show is this idea that these uh, women are insisting that they're adults when they're still basically acting like teenagers, right. which is reflected by the actual teenagers who they're now supposed to be 
uh, older than and some t- and in some cases in charge of and basically acting the exact same way. Right. Um, which I think was a really, which I really, which, uh, which is probably why I personally really loved this episode compared to all the other episodes that we've been hating on is because I felt like this was the first episode that had like, as, as I said, like real self-awareness about what's going on with the show. Right. It, it was clever and it tried really hard and it played to the show's strengths. And I think what will be really smart about it is if it doesn't use this Addison character for two more episodes and just sort of have her come and go, but like just has her exist in this one episode to prove this point mm-hmm. and to create this moment and then move along. Right. And I, I'm sure that's what I, I have the feeling that that's what is going to happen here. Right. Oliver Goldstick, you're our dude. Yeah, could could work this. You're week. our dude, Oliver. Uh, I didn't watch the preview for next week, so I guess we'll find out. But there are only eight more episodes, which is wild. Two more months of this show. Uh, you have plenty of our theories. I hope that they pan out. <laughs> yeah. We've been pretty good with theories in the past. Yeah, I think we. Yeah, we've been a little bit more elaborate than the show has actually uh, ended up embracing. So yeah, that's fun though. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> when you were watching Lost, did you have uh, overly elaborate ideas of what you thought was going to happen that, of course, never panned out? I mean, I think I did in the early seasons, and I read more of the, like, crazy Wikipedia or, like, wiki fan pages that mm-hmm. people made. And then, you know, the thing I, about Lost was every week I was just so locked in. I found every week to be just so exciting and dramatic and, like— beyond the sort of overall mystery just it was a good hour of tv every week yeah and so i became you know i was just as interested in that as, as i was in solving the puzzle mm-hmm. uh and definitely like had ideas about how i wanted it to end or what i wanted to happen and or or more just like things i was fascinated by yeah. like they would present sort of one big or one or two big ideas every season and i'd be like yeah tell me tell me about this mm-hmm. thing that you came up with about, you know, women on the island who aren't able to have kids or uh, Walt and his special powers or the time, whole time travel stuff that you did in all of season five, which was really interesting and awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was like a whole crazy detour. And then they set off the nuke. And then you have this whole shot of like this giant statue underwater and it looks like the timeline's been changed. And then, of course, it's like, mm, no, it just pops you right back to where you were, mm-hmm. you know. And so I felt like that was a pretty – it felt like they built up this entire structure of stuff that for it to all make sense and for it to come to this big payoff at the end of the season. And then they just sort of wiped the slate clean. And it's like that was really interesting and you did a really good job telling that story and you should keep going with it instead of like not knowing what to do right. and coming up with some new bullshit, which was less interesting. Yeah, And that was like – what was frustrating about the show is that they would get so deep into one particular thing and it would be a really good idea. And then in almost every case they were like, we don't really know how to end this. And so we're just not going to, and we're just going to move along. Yeah. Like we don't know how to add up these like five or six big season long ideas into a full picture or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it would, I don't feel like it would have been that hard for them to do it. And I don't know if it was like because it's hard to write a you know twenty episode season. Uh, I mean, this is something that came up in this. There's a great article on Vulture.com uh, today, a roundtable interview with all the Pretty Little Liars actresses, 
And one thing that they mention is, you know, in a 10 episode series, you can break the story, come up with the whole story mm-hmm. two months in advance. Whereas if you're doing 22 episodes or whatever, then you, you're writing it as the season is going on. So you sort of can write yourself, box yourself into a corner, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that happened in Lost. And there was a huge pivot to me between like season three and a half when the writer's strike break happens and then Brian K. Vaughn joins the writing staff and the production staff. And then when he leaves between season five and six, I mean, the like clarity and the direction of the show, I think, changed changes dramatically mm-hmm. uh, during during those seasons. Uh, and so it's clear that like sort of outside factors are happening. But, you know, it's like a lot of these ideas about time travel or whatever, you already like laid all the foundation. Yeah. It shouldn't have been that hard for them to figure out like here are like two or three cool ways that we can move forward with this. Well, I think that like, um, I don't think about it as much as lost as I think about something, uh, along the lines of like, uh, the Sopranos. Uh huh. So, um, I don't, I'm going to, I'm going to give away the last, the last, episodes of the sopranos but you know it's been a while so you know spoiler alert but if you haven't seen it like this is whatever uh basically when the the last season of the sopranos or the last half season of the sopranos started it starts out with this uh elaborate multiple episode long i I think it's been a while since i've seen it multiple episode long uh dream sequence for tony soprano the main character Uh uh-huh uh, because he's in a uh, coma, I think. Um, I think he was shot, and so he's in a coma. Uh, and he has these like really elaborate dream sequences about like the future of his family um, and his own fate and all this stuff. When this is all happening, I, uh, uh, me and a few other people were making predictions about what, how, how the show would end. And one of my predictions was that uh, Tony's daughter would take over the family because he was he was going to die, and that she'd come out on top as the most like the the most reasonable person to take over the family. I had a lot more reasoning behind why that would be the case, uh, but of course, the way that the this the Sopranos ended is Tony wakes up and not that much happens and then it just kind of ends and you're not really sure if someone's going to assassinate Tony or not. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of details that I'm missing because it's been a while, like I've said. Um, But what that, what that instilled in me as a watcher of, of binge TV or a watcher of serialized TV is that all of the elaborate things that you think are going to happen <clears throat> will not happen. Right. That writing good TV is not about the big plot reveals. Right. It's about taking the characters to their to their earned conclusions. Right. Um and so I kind of feel and it's the same thing with like girls. Girls just ended. And no matter how you feel about the way that it ended, it ended in a way that it earned. Um, and I think that ended in, in a way that made sense. It wasn't a big, like super surprising end mm-hmm. and it, and just kind of, it ended and it was nice and it was fine. Um, right. It doesn't, I, I don't need some grand finale. Uh, but I'm, I think that's, that's, that's the way that we think. 
Right. That's the way that we think about the way that the way that these big serialized TV shows should end. And so I don't think that Pretty Liars is going to end in a way that is going to blow us away. Yeah. I think it's going to end in a way that it, I hope that it ends in a way that it should. Right. And when I say that, I mean that I hope it, that it ends in a way that makes sense for the characters and makes sense for the way that the show has been written. And I don't expect and maybe don't even want it to end in on some big, like, su- surprising plot reveal. Yeah. I mean, I think we will get that. But I think. Besides that, Ezra is A. I would love that. <laughs> but, I, you know, I think we've already sort of had one semi-series finale in that, in the Charlotte reveal. Yeah. And in the scene where they're all have their cars and they finish high school and they're all going to go off in their separate ways, you know. Mm-hmm. And that almost is like an end of the show. And I feel like having done that once, will the show just do that again? Will it learn some lessons from what it did with the Charlotte episode, which we were like, you know, pretty critical of or moderate, you know, moderately critical of. Uh, I, I don't know, but yeah, I just want the characters to, at this point, I don't care about the mystery and I care about the characters, you know, and I, I feel close to them and I want them to end and get to some satisfying end point oh, where man. I feel like they can take their lives forward in a, in a productive way or you know they've what, learned something. You know, what might be an even better ending than Ezra being a is if one of the liars becomes an a yeah like Like takes over the mantle they weren't the a before but the incessant traumatic circumstances of their life has driven them to just repeat the cycle because that is what life is like yeah life is pain and it's all and it's just repeating right well and that would be like a very (laughs) that would be like a very honest and dark right thing to present right exactly well, that that be, feels like a better ending because that's yeah. just sort of like maybe it'll it be just Arya. makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Maybe it's a chance for Arya. Maybe Ezra is A and then Arya becomes A. Ooh. That's the perfect ending. Yeah. Arya doesn't get withholden. Arya becomes an A. Yeah, and torches a new generation oh my God. of somebody. Yeah. Ooh. Well. And then Addison has a has Addison has an actual relationship with Emily. Probably not. <laughs> no. Probably not. Um, that become they become their own. Addison Ezria. leads. Addison leads a new a new spinoff show. What would, what would be Addison and Emily put together? Um, Adelie. It would still be Emerson. Oh, it'd be Emerson. It'd still be Emerson. Oh God! Boom! Oh, I mean, that work. was like another. Yeah, not that the parallels of the names was were were a little on the nose. A little <laughs> on the nose. Yeah. Uh, well, I, th- I think we can wrap this one up. Uh, thank you as always for being with us. We check our download stats and we know how many of you there are. Uh, it's about 250 this last couple of weeks. So that's awesome. You're mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, you can talk to us at PLGM podcast. Uh, you can, uh, on Twitter, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, and we are both on Twitter as well and you can Google <gasps> oh. us and, what what's up? We have a we have a review. Ooh, we have a new review. Yeah, we said we were gonna read it. Um do you have iTunes on your computer? Do you wanna pull that up real quick? Um We uh we will we said that we would uh read any reviews we got, um, no matter 
how we're star rated. <laughs> um, we have been, we've actually been really lucky in that uh, of our star ratings, we've had um, a, a lot of uh, really positive uh, star ratings and reviews. Um, here, I found it. So this uh, this one is from LNS.711. Um, this was actually on the 19th of April, and the headline is, Love This Too Much. I love the honesty of these two on how they feel about the show. Their random tangents are fun also. Get these guys a beer sponsorship. Oh, that's a great review. That is a great review. Thank you. Thank you. I, you know, there was another one. Somebody commented on Instagram. Uh, hey, Kailash. Kailash. I'm, I'm not, I know I'm not pronouncing that right, uh, but you know who you are. Oh, yeah. And uh, this, this person went, listened to all the Pretty Little Liars, posted this great Instagram photo <laughs> of having fit, caught up with all the Pretty Little Liars podcasts. Uh, Pretty Little Podcasters, our friends at Cabernet and A and Bros Watch PLL 2, uh, our, our little universe of PLL podcasts. <laughs> uh, man, I don't know if I could listen to three other PLL podcasts, <laughs> uh, but that is awesome. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm just happy that I, I, I really enjoy having these conversations and talking to you and thinking mm-hmm. about this show and, you know, just like using my brain. It feels really good. And it's just nice to know that people are out there uh, getting something out of it. And I hope we're helping you think about the show and just being entertaining. And uh, I'd probably do this if nobody was listening, but it's really nice to know that people are out there and appreciate it. So thank you. That's right. Um, so, yes. Uh uh, again, if you give us a rating, it doesn't matter. One to five, half half a star. Can you even give half a stars? No, I think you have to do one. Okay. I gave Bill O'Reilly's podcast one star yesterday. His new podcast. Oh man, <laughs> the hits just keep on coming for Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> you know that that was that was my little form of protest that I could do in the iTunes store. Anyway, I don't want to get into politics. <laughs> uh, um, we will read it. We'll we'll read any review on this on this podcast, uh, uh, no matter how positive or negative it is. Um, so yes, thank you f- thank you for for tuning in, as always. Um, and uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the continuing saga of our of our favorite truth destroyers. Until next time. Puzzle pieces, bitches. Can't keep a secret. If one of us is dead, I know what you're keeping. I know what you're keeping. I know what you're keeping. Swore you never tell.